0: Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, If you want to open up to Psalm 27 and and put your marker there, we're going to come back to it a few times. Um, Psalm 27, and it is where I want to start, so uh, go ahead and turn there if you're following along with me this morning in your Bible. Psalm 27, it's a Psalm of David, Um, you see that in verse 1, it says of David, and there's no particular time frame, I don't believe, that is tied to this psalm. Um, some, a few of the psalms have very like specific moments in David's life that are pretty, pretty clearly attributed. Um, but this one's not one of those. And so when you read through the psalm, you're hit with uh, several motifs or themes of the psalm. And so like, if you're familiar with David's life, you might think maybe it fits here or maybe it fits there. Um, but we don't know exactly when this was. But some of the things that stand out to you as you read through this psalm, I would imagine, are things like David's confidence in the Lord. Uh, Beginning from the first verse, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right? These statements are followed with rhetoricals, right? like If God is this, which he's saying he is, then the answer to this next part should be obvious, right? There shouldn't be really anyone that David is afraid of. There really isn't anyone that he should fear. But as you move through this song, um, David says that there's nobody that he should fear and be afraid of, but what he ultimately ends up saying is, actually, there are people that are attempting that, right? People are, armies are camping around him. People are attacking and assailing him. He describes some of these people as those in verse 2 who eat my flesh, which sounds like scary, creepy people, right? There are people that want David to be afraid of them, right? But what he notices in that is that though that's happening in verse 3, right, my heart's not going to fear, and though war is rising around him, he's going to continue to be confident. He's going to, I guess, invest in the statements of verse 1, right? The reflection of this psalm, I believe, is David has a real relationship with God. And what I mean by that is it seems like David has something that oftentimes I, and perhaps you can fail to relate to, is that like there's something tangible here. You know, God seems really distant sometimes, And I think there's a a, a natural sort of barrier to God in a way in that, like, what I am used to experiencing is fleshly, right? And we know that in John chapter 4, God is spirit, right? It just says it plainly in that text, John chapter 4, verse 24. So there's something about David's relationship with God that I think... A lot of us can feel sort of distant to if not all the time which i hope is not the case for many of us here at least sometimes right we can and i think david feels that sometimes too i mean he has a bunch of psalms there's 150 in the book of psalms and most of those are david's and there's some psalms where god is like or david is saying god you feel really far away i'm not really sure How this is going to play out I'm not as confident as maybe Psalm 27 Right Because he has a real relationship with God Just like with us We have relationships that Maybe kind of go with the ebb and flow of life God was no different for David God was just as real as a person Or relationship in his life As he might have had with his best friend Jonathan Right or his mom or his dad, like it ebbed and flowed. But in Psalm 27, he's placing his confidence and his trust in God. And so the point that I want to focus in on is verse 8. I want to think about what it is then to seek God's face. If God is someone that we're supposed to be seeking, and I think David is asserting in verse 8 that he is, right? In fact, when David makes the commitment to seek God's face it's in response to God saying seek my face right you say seek my face and my heart says to you your face O Lord will I seek right so how, how do we go about that like if there's sort of a, a, a practical barrier with God being spirit and our experience being mostly a fleshly one that can be kind of difficult right how do I seek someone's face that is spiritual I've never done that before, right? We might say or think. And also like part of what makes God God, right, is the fact that he's kind of everywhere. So like where is his face? You know, like how do I think about this? Like if he's supposed to be uh omnipresent, then like where do I position myself to find the place that God has put his face? You know, this is just kind of like some of these questions may seem silly to you depending on your growth in your relationship with God. Maybe you've moved past these questions, but they're real questions, right? When you're trying to figure out how to have a relationship with God, you come to these kind of practical things. If I'm supposed to be seeking God's face, what does that mean if he's spirit? And where is his face, right? Well, I would suggest to you that in this text, this idea that seeking God's face is not fixating on um, a literal spiritual face of God in a particular place. But rather, David is seeking a relationship with God. And when you talk about relationships, what better way to illustrate that than when you're talking about speaking to someone face-to-face, right? Um, In fact, this is a a quote that I pulled from a book that Kirby uh, pointed out to me that she was reading at the time, and I thought this was helpful. When we look at someone, we don't look at and address his or her kneecaps or feet or back or stomach. We address the person to his or her face. The face is the relational gate into a person's mind and heart. Isn't that true? If someone were to come up to you and start talking to you, and you're just starting a relationship with them, you just met them, and they come up behind you and start talking to your back, you're going to think, I really question this relationship. I'm going to really reconsider this friendship I'm developing with them because they're weird, right? Or if someone comes up to you and starts talking to your elbow, Or your knee or your toes or something you're gonna you're gonna think the same thing like what's going on here right you talk to someone's face and that's what people expect and to have a relationship i look you in the face and i talk to you right we understand that so to seek god's face is to seek that relationship to seek an intimacy a personal relationship with god and to illustrate some of this i want to turn to exodus chapter 33 so hold your Hold place in kind of Psalm twenty-seven. Now let's let's look at Exodus thirty-three together. There's some points here that I think are helpful. Um, and the reason I think this is helpful is not just because it's a place that um, talks about this idea of God's face, and that that is true. That's why we're turning here in part. But also, like when you think about David saying, "I'm going to seek God's face," what information? Does he have to be drawing on for that idea? You know? The only thing that I know for sure is he would have had maybe the first five scrolls of what we call the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is how we name them. I imagine he had access to that. As king, he was commanded by the Lord to meditate on the law day and night and to read it, to write his own copy every year. So I imagine stories like in Exodus 33 would have been familiar to him. So for him to say, seek the face of the Lord, yes, I will. My heart says to you, O Lord, your face I will seek. Maybe he's thinking about Exodus 33. And uh, let's read some of this together to see why. Beginning in verse 7, now Moses used to make the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, All the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend on it and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant Joshua the son of Nun. A young man would not depart from the tent. Let's move to verse 17 now. And read a little bit more here. And the Lord said to Moses. This very thing that you have spoken. I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And Moses said. Please show me your glory. And he God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But when he, uh, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. A couple things here that are interesting to me and perhaps David would have been reflecting on when he's talking about seeking the face of the Lord, right? Moses, when he went into the tent of meeting, uh, would go in and God's presence was shown to like be in that place, right? Remember, God was leading the people with cloud and fire. And so whenever Moses would go to, to seek the counsel or the guidance of the Lord to have that conversation, God would make it obvious that he was there. And so Moses would go in and everybody would kind of watch as Moses went in, right? And they knew what was happening. But the interesting thing to me in all of this in our discussion is actually verse 11. What an amazing thing to, for God's kind of commentary on this, right? Moses goes in. And it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Do you imagine like David maybe is thinking about this story when he's saying like, I know God, like you say, seek your face. And my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. I imagine David saying, I want to be like Moses. I want to know God face to face. And I want God to regard me in such a way that he calls me a friend. And actually, when you you slide down the text a little further to the next section that we read, uh, Moses, the part that we didn't read, basically Moses is like, we need you, God, to travel with us. We need your presence to go with us, and I really want you to go. And God's basically saying, I'm going to grant you that request, right? That's where we pick up in verse 17. But then, beginning in that section, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And so I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if David thought this too, It was like, How much more glory could you have seen? You had a conversation with God where he could claim you kind of spoke face-to-face like friends do. Moses wants more, right? He's like, I want more, so I want to see your glory. And what's interesting is that God connects his glory to what? His face. Moses doesn't actually ask to see his face. You kind of are left assuming he already had, right? Like they speak face-to-face. But apparently that was not literally true right? Whatever that means for God to be spirit and have a face, literally, right? It wasn't literally true. So God said, or Moses asked for glory and God says, well, that's my face and I'm not going to show that to you, right? So there's an interesting idea here that when, perhaps when David is saying, God, I know you want me to seek your face. My heart wants that. Maybe he's thinking about this story, right? wouldn't that be kind of odd to think, moses or david is asking for something that moses wasn't allowed to have and god even says would have killed him i don't know um i think it's kind of a you know a silly thing to ask for something that god says is going to kill you right how many of us would be like if god told you that you know eating rice krispies would kill you instantly you'd be like man give me some more of those rice krispies right Really silly example, but like that's what's happened here. God's saying, You see my face, you're going to die. And then David's like reflecting many years later and he's like, I want to see your face, God. But I think David doesn't want to die necessarily, but he really, really wants to see God's glory. And he really, really wants to have a close relationship with God. And he probably knows. What was at stake for Moses if he had seen his glory? And he's still asking for it. I think there's a lot to be said about that and a lot to learn from it. Um, I think one thing for us is to think about this. If you want to seek the Lord's face, which I think is an instrumental idea to like following God, right? To being a disciple is like you set your heart like David on seeking the Lord, right? One question that we may have in our lives is, how do I do that, right? I think this story in Exodus 33, if we're reading Psalm 27 and we're like, man, I wanna be like David, but I don't know how to seek the Lord's face. How am I ever gonna find or know the Lord's face? One thing that we see in Exodus 33 is, we can know the Lord face to face without technically seeing the Lord's face. And the reason that's helpful for me Is because it becomes attainable. I can be in the presence of the Lord and he can know me as a friend. And like in verse, uh, I believe it's 18, no 17, God can know me by name and regard me as a friend, right? And me still feel like I want more, right? I don't know about you guys, but one of the biggest barriers I think in my faith and in my seeking God is... I feel that a lot of times it's shallow. That there's not a lot of substance there, and some of that's my fault. I don't pursue like I should, right? Maybe you can relate to that. You feel like I'm just not who I need to be. I don't love God enough. But then, other part of this is just that that tension of like I'm fleshly, and God is saying He's spirit, and there's kind of a misfire sometimes in how to relate to that. I don't understand it all the time. Exodus 33 is encouraging because. Moses wanted more. He didn't feel satisfied with what he had, and yet God was saying he knew him face-to-face as a friend. We can know God. We can be in the presence of the Lord and have this relationship. Um, One other thing here to consider uh, is actually back in Psalm 27, so if you kind of marked that. um, Back in Psalm 27, beginning in verse 9, i can get back there myself i didn't take my own advice and mark it so give me a second verse nine uh david resolves to do what the lord asks to seek his face he says my heart O lord Uh, your face O lord do i seek verse nine hide not your face from me and turn away uh, turn not away your servant in anger O you who have been my help Cast me not off Forsake me not O God of my salvation I do not believe that this is David, Like a legitimate concern of David's I don't think he's worried about God Hiding his face from him um, I think he's affirming that God Will not do that um, But Do we worry about that? Have you ever thought like Man it's hard to seek God And like it Feels like he's hiding from me sometimes Um I know people that struggle with that idea That God wants no part in their life He's not interested in them And so he's far away He's kind of hiding right? Um, David didn't believe that I don't think that's true from scripture But that is a a very real um, Place to be in I think for people Because God is spirit And his face isn't exactly What we'd expect it to be People think he wants no part of my life. He wants, he has no interest in having that relationship like he had with David with me. Right? Um, I think that's a sad thing to believe. Um, I've believed it at times. I don't believe it, but there's times in my life where emotionally I'm kind of there, right? Um but look at Acts chapter 17. If you're one of those people, um if you're in this room this afternoon and you kind of feel that. Um, I don't think that's an illegitimate feeling. I'm not saying there's not an answer to it, but don't dismiss that feeling. Find the answer. Right? And in Acts chapter 17, Paul's talking to a bunch of people that didn't really know God, right? So maybe you're in that camp. You feel like I know of God, but I don't really know God. Like I have this idea that there is a God but I don't know how to get close to him. I don't really know who he is. This is what Paul says about that in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. God has positioned himself much closer than you might expect. I think the, the reality of this passage, the beauty of it, but also the difficulty of it, is we're talking about someone that doesn't fit into the expectations of my experiences so far. I mean, when I'm talking about a God, I've never dealt with God before in my daily life. Like, Stephen's not God. You know, my parents are not God. My school teachers, you know, my bicycle's not God. Like, if I've only been living a life of what's in front of me, I haven't experienced that yet. And so that's a difficult thing to begin to figure out how to to think about and to deal with. But also, God is saying he's not only not positioned as far away as you might've thought or felt, There are some indicators that that's true When you look at the things around you Particularly the the kind of the natural world Right You should think Something Right And the point that's made here Is Verse 26 The things that are around us The fact that I don't live in a vacuum Right I'm not by myself I'm here in this place And there's things for me to observe Tells me God's not that far away Right Continuing from that moment, verse 28, the fact that I'm sustained, I'm breathing, people that I know lived yesterday and they're alive tomorrow, that people keep becoming alive and this kind of keeps happening, tells me that God is not so far away, right? And though some of us may feel like God's really far away, what Paul is trying to help these people in Athens see is that he's not as far away as you might suspect in fact he's designed it to be this way so that if we decide we actually want to seek God's face we're able to kind of in a, in, in a sense of uh, blindness feel our way towards him and kind of start grabbing at what's around and we'll actually find him like this a picture in verse 27 is that He's kind of an arm's reach away, right? And if you actually work towards it, what verse 27 is saying, that when you seek God, um, there's a hope that you're actually going to find your way to him. I think that's an encouraging thing. The idea of seeking God can be a daunting one. How do I do that? Where is he? What does that entail? What does that mean for my life? Well, Moses felt like he wasn't there, but he was, right? Right? And Acts 17 is saying, and he's not that far away from really any of us. It's attainable. It's real. But even in a more practical sense, what does this mean? Uh, Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you want to see the face of God, uh, I don't think there's a better place to figure out what that means for your life than maybe John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Moving to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You can't escape John chapter 1 without pretty plainly coming to the conclusion that this Jesus guy is this, right? What we're seeing in particularly verse 14 is that when you look at the person of Jesus, like when you are approached. When you approach who he is, let me say it that way because I've never literally seen the body of Jesus. But when I see who Jesus is, I see God's face, I think is the point of this. And when I see God's face, right, just like Moses, I want to see God's glory. And God says, well, then you are asking to see my face. You can't do that. God is actually saying here, when you see the face of Jesus, you're seeing my glory. you should do that right Uh, what moses wanted he couldn't quite get exactly he got the back of it and god had to like cover him with his hand sort of but now god has revealed to us his own face and his own glory and when we see it we we see who god is and we we can seek jesus's face and it's just as if we're seeking the lord himself um I think that's an important, important idea, because for those of us who may not feel like seeking God is something we can do, um, that is possible, I think Jesus is very approachable and attainable. And if we understand that that is the face of God, then I think it empowers us to realize that this is something that we can endeavor to do. And God is actually nearer than we ever actually realized. Um, But you notice what we see, not only Glory, But when you look at Jesus' face, what are the other things that we see? Um, Grace and truth, right? In the psalm uh, that we were reading in, in Psalm 27, we didn't read that whole psalm again. James read it for us. When you move through that psalm, do you think that David sees grace and truth in God? He never explicitly uses those terms in the psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. you think there's grace and truth in that? Uh, David somehow, by seeking the face of the Lord, saw the same things that we can see in Jesus. In fact, when Moses asked for the glory of God and God said, you can't see my face, but he, he got to hear something as well, right? And as God passed by him, there were certain things that God was proclaiming about himself that sound a lot like being full of grace and truth. If you go back and read that text in Exodus 33. And so, really, our pursuit of God is no different than David's. It's no different than Moses's. We're going to find out the same things about God, but God has made it much, much simpler for us and much plainer for us to pursue in giving us Jesus'. In fact, I want to illustrate this a little bit here um, by uh, thinking about Psalm 27, but a verse we haven't looked at yet. Um, So if you are still holding on to Psalm 27, I want us to look at just a couple more verses as we're wrapping up here. Um, Psalm 27. We left off at verse uh, 9, the end of verse 10, and we're going to read kind of through the end here. And we know that he's not going to hide that from us, right? Jesus is not hidden from us. We can look on his face and behold God's glory and see grace and truth. It necessitates something. When I have a close, personal, intimate, however you want to say it, relationship with God, the natural progression of that is exactly what David says in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. For me to seek the face of God and not to be living and learning the teachings of God means I'm not seeking the face of God. Whatever, however I pitch it to myself, if I think I'm seeking the face of God and I'm not actually learning God's guidances and commandments, then I'm not really seeking God's face. And vice versa, if I think I'm practicing the commandments and the paths of God and I'm not seeking His face then again, it's all kind of tossed out. Like, where is it leading me, right? It's no coincidence that uh, Moses was receiving, I assume, counsel of the Lord in the tent of meeting when they were face-to-face as friends. Uh, In fact, look in Exodus 34 to illustrate this even more plainly. Exodus 34. Um, Exodus 34, let's look at uh, Beginning in verse 29 So Kind of catch us up to this point, right? The, the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments Had been broken due to Moses' reaction To the, the False God worship of the people And so he has to go back up On Mount Sinai and God has to write The commandments on the tablets again And so That's kind of where we're at in verse 29 Moses came down from Mount Sinai The second time, right? with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded. And the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. David says, teach me your way, O Lord and lead me on a level path Um, to seek the face of God is just that right? to be close to God to allow him to guide and counsel you it's no coincidence that every time Moses is face to face with God is talking with God when God knows his name he speaks as a friend that Moses is receiving the counsel is receiving the commandments and relaying those to other people um We have to do the same thing. If I'm going to seek the face of the Lord, as I draw close to God, I have to be open to him teaching me new things. You cannot be a seeker of God's face and remain where you were. You can't. And that's a natural progression for David, and he's committed to that. He's allowing God to do that. Um, In fact, the influence of God's guidance and counsel when you're close to God is that Moses was visibly different afterwards. Right? His face shone, and I don't necessarily expect any of your faces to shine like Moses' did, but there's a sense in which this is true. right? As I draw near to God, and I actually allow him to teach me and lead me in different paths than I was going before, I should look different. Right? Actually, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, Paul helps us with some of this connection here. Beginning in verse 16. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is the Lord, there is freedom. Pay attention to this part. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is changing us, right? As we seek the face of God, there's glory to behold, and that has to change us to where we begin to reflect that same type of glory, right? That's what was happening to Moses. Um, Move to chapter four, beginning in verse six. Chapter four, verse six. For God said, or for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Seeking God's face, right, John 1, the face of Jesus with, uh, in whom we behold glory changes us from the inside out. Allowing God to teach us his paths, lead us in those, changes us from the inside out, right? These these images of light continue. This uh, figurative language here of light continues to prevail in our hearts. And actually, as we as we think about this, um, parallel to Exodus 34, did you notice that the Israelites, who are supposed to be God's people, didn't appreciate Moses being different? Right? Like they asked him to veil it. Like we we don't we can't handle that, or they didn't like it, or something they preferred him to approach them veiled I think one of the things that we learn from that example is that as we draw near to God right, as we seek God's face which we seek Jesus and he begins to teach us and change us where we reflect the glories of God there are going to be people around us that want us to veil that sometimes it's people we expect but then like the israelites maybe it's people you don't expect right actually verse 3 in chapter 4 tells us exactly this and even speaking of his own ministry in the gospel paul right and even if our gospel is veiled it's veiled only to those who are perishing in their case the gods of this world or the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? There's a sense in which as we change, as the glory of God shines in us, there's going to be people that don't want that. People that are perishing, the people that are seeking a different God, right? the God of this world, are going to ask us to veil that. They want no part in that. And it is a privilege as we seek God for that to happen, because that means God's glory is shining in us. But it's something that we have to be ready for and prepared for, because when you commit to seeking the Lord and allowing him to teach you, you're committing to this reaction from some. And it's fair to know that up front, that that's what's gonna happen. But you know what? We'll wrap up here in Psalm 27. This reaction um, shouldn't deter us from the Lord. It shouldn't seek uh, keep us from seeking God's face. In fact, in verse 10, of all the people that seeking the Lord um, could prevent you or I from having a relationship with, it doesn't get much more painful than what David says in verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. You know, that could have been a very simple and big reason for david not to seek the face of the lord now in this text i don't know if that's related to seeking the lord or not right i don't know if that was like a direct cause correlation kind of thing but it happened right they had forsaken him and so the thing for david was what's he going to do with that well he just expected the lord to take him in right some of us may have people in our lives that want us to veil the changes that god is creating in us his glory is shining in us we need to remember the example of david he seeks the face of the lord and when people forsake him it's just more reason to love god because he promises to take us in i don't know what everybody's situation in this room is maybe you have people in your life that love you uh, love the lord themselves and so they encourage you to seek the face of the lord i would encourage you to do the same thing Um, Draw nearer to God, James 4 tells us, and he'll draw near to us. Follow Jesus and let him teach you new things. Let his glory be reflected in your life in new ways. But also some of us may have reasons why we haven't drawn close to God. Maybe you feel like he's distant. The Bible tells you he's not, so don't let that be an excuse. Jesus is near. But maybe you feel like, you know, my family might reject me and forsake me. People around me might ask me to not change. They don't want that. Well, you have a decision on your hands. Are you trusting the Lord to take you in in those moments and to give you what you need? Or are you going to allow that to dissuade you? Hopefully, what we learned from Psalm 27, and David's pursuit of the Lord, is helpful for you this morning wherever you find yourself in seeking God. And I would encourage you that if you have some sort of need or want from this group, you let me know. You let the person that you're comfortable with in this room know because they're going to be the person that should help you. And this group here is interested in your spiritual well-being because we all want to pursue the Lord's face. So hopefully you'll think about some of these things. Um, And Stephen's going to lead us in a song. Whether it's during the song or after the song or even during lunch or later this afternoon, if you realize you need to do something, call us, text us, meet up with us, make this time your time to to seek the Lord's face. Thank you, guys.